Hi again, everybody. John Porteous of the Lovells Township Historical Society here, and you're listening to the Backcast Podcast. Hey, we're back. Uh, Glenn Emberly is with me this, this week, and we have Tom Baird as our special guest. So sit back, relax, enjoy. I think you're going to have some fun. Tom, great to have you. Glenn, why don't you introduce everybody to our friend Tom? Well, John, it's nice to be back in uh, podcast country here. Uh, we're sitting on the banks of uh, Shoepack Lake with uh, John Porteous from uh, Lovells Township Historical Society. And our guest today is Tom Baird. And many of you listening are very familiar with that name. Uh, we're delighted to have Tom here. He has a, a uh, uh, quite a, a, a history in uh, the fly fishing community and conservation and has, has a uh, some news for us recently uh, that has happened for him. Good news. And I just wanted to say welcome, Tom. It's great to have you here, and we're going to have some fun today. Thanks, Glenn. It's a real pleasure to be here. And uh, a part of the introduction of Tom is uh, I want to tell a quick story about uh, uh, Tom. And, and uh, Tom is a lawyer, uh, but he's a, a 2% lawyer. And uh, people wonder what that is. Uh, a friend of ours, John Dallas, who's a mutual friend, was having a problem one time and, and uh, he was having a problem with a lawyer and, and he looked at all of us and he just shook his head and he said, isn't it a shame? It takes 98% of all the lawyers to give the rest of them a bad name. <laughs> and based on that, Tom and uh, some of his uh, associates like uh, uh, Joe Hemming and uh, Rex, uh, Rex Schlebaugh and... Uh, Bruce, Bruce Pragler and Neil Wallace are all 2% lawyers, so uh, when you see them, uh, mention that. But uh, Tom, uh, first of all, uh, we're a fly fishing museum, uh, Lovell's Historical Society, and uh, would you share with us how you got involved in, in the fly fishing community? Sure, Glenn. Um, story goes back. I was born and raised in Grand Rapids and learned to fish with a cane pole with my grandfather on the Grand Haven Pier if you can believe that, <laughs> fishing for perch. Um, so anyway, I went through school, went off to law school, got a job, and at that point in time, I was in a position to look around for something I really wanted to do in my spare time and and started fishing again. Uh, did a lot of lake fishing at that point, trolling, etc. cetera. Um, but finally got into fly fishing um, through TU. I went to the TU school, which still exists. It's a great opportunity if, if you haven't been there. And uh, uh, got started fly fishing, and the Osable quickly became my, my home river system. After, do, you, do you remember your first visit to the Osable? Tell us about that. Well, you can edit this out, but I don't remember much from those days. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to edit that. Let's, <laughs> you're normal. You're, uh, you're, you're figuring on a, me still having some memory, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, I was in my early 30s at that point in time, so, geez, that's probably 40 years ago oh, now, wow. mm-hmm. and uh uh, I just happened to be directed in Rusty Gates' direction for some help, <laughs> and I met him, and we hit it off a little bit. So he helped me get started on the river, and 
in our conversations, he learned I was an attorney and and cared about the river and conservation. So he he drafted me at that point in time, and uh, I've been going at it ever since. At the time, I was I think I was a general counsel to Michigan Trout Unlimited. They call it the legal director. Um, mm-hmm. But we were just coming off a big fight. Well, we were still involved in a big fight about flies only and no kill on the holy waters. Sure, trying mm-hmm. to get that get that um, solidified and put in place. And there was a lot of pushback uh, from a lot of people in the cord river corridor and in town. And and uh, we didn't think Trout Unlimited at that time was in the proper place on that issue. They just hadn't embraced catch and release yet. And uh, so it was time for a new organization. And uh, the Anglers of the Osable was born. Rusty and several other individuals, friends of mine, put it together one year. And in 1987, it was formalized and we put together a board. And, and that organization has been the river's number one advocate ever since, as far as I'm concerned. So that's how I got into it. After that, it was just fly fishing like anyone who enjoys it. Uh, You learn more, you go different places, uh, you try different techniques, you have a lot of fun. Uh, And of course, trout live in the best looking places. So so it's always enjoyable. Wherever you find them, you find a good time and a beautiful place. So it's kept me engaged. Do you have a favorite hatch? A favorite hatch. Well, when it's when it happens, I love the Hendricksons. Yeah. Mm. When it happens. So every spring, I think it's going to happen in March, and of course it isn't. And then I think <laughs> it's going to happen in April, and it's not. And maybe it's going to happen in May if the weather cooperates and the stars align and all of that. Uh, but... It's because it's spring, and it's the first major hatch of the spring, and and it just gets my blood flowing every time. I mean, I cannot cannot downplay the brown drakes. That's got to be the close second. Okay. And then Glenn's got me fishing size 30s for for trichos (laughs) and and little brook trout. (laughs) So that's a a new challenge in my life is tying a size 30 on an 8. And number eight tippet, so eight x tippet, so it's it's, uh, it's still a challenge. It's always something new. That Hendrickson is nice because it's the first real good hatch of the year, isn't it? And it also is a gentlemanly hatch because it usually comes out in the daytime. It's lovely, it's lovely, wonderful, very civil, ten, civil ten to two or three, and it's very gentle. There is the evening spinnerfall, and that's beautiful too that's to watch delightful. them. Bouncing around with those yellow egg sacs a foot above the water, taunting, Uh taunting you while the temperature drops and then they just disappear. But but I'm only kidding. It's a beautiful hatch and I love it. And I'm sure you've experienced even fishing that Hendrickson hatch when it's been sleeting or snowing. Of course. And the bugs are still hatching. Of course. That's so hard to Once they start, they keep coming. (laughs) But they keep coming. They don't care what's going on above the water. It uh, might take three weeks to fall, but they'll still have. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, Tom, you you mentioned the anglers and Rusty, and you were a founding member of the anglers of Yosavo. 
Uh, close. I don't think I was at the first couple of meetings, okay. but I was on the board right after that. Right so after the forming. It was in 80, I, I was on the board in 87, so mm -hmm. it was within okay. a year of the founding. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, that has become a tremendous conservation organization. And they, I think as you said, it's probably the most effective uh, conservation organization regarding to the whole Osable Manistee water system. Yeah. They, they've done a terrific job. And Rusty Gates was the driver of that, and he he uh, he, he ran a, a great dictatorship, as I think of it, at the time. Um, and it was all Rusty, uh, as I recall, and, and he he knew his people, and he, he knew what talents, who, who had what talents, and he would tap people to do this and do that, and whatever needed to be done. And then on his passing, uh, 2009, I believe we lost Rusty, uh, and uh, then it, it morphed into a, a different organization. It went from the, a very good dictatorship to uh, a, a structured organization with committees. Uh, could you just share that transition a little bit? Well, that was interesting. Rusty's passing was premature and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, not part of anybody's plan. And he had been a, a benevolent dictator, and it was never a negative thing. Mm -mm. He had the contacts. He knew what the river needed. Our scope of operation was smaller then, and uh, it was okay. It worked that way. But when he died, and it, it happened too fast, um, we knew that none of us standing alone would be able to fill those shoes, so we... We put our heads together and basically formed a new committee structure within the organization to take care of business. Mm -hmm. So we had a, a president and an executive committee and a number of board members. It usually varied between 20 and 25. But these board members were working board members and they all had special skills of one sort or another. And uh, our, first, our first committees basically exist, although in slightly different form now, but we had an advocacy committee, uh, which included most of the lawyers and others. We had a finance committee. Uh, we had a, a business group. Uh, we had a habitat committee. And we also had ad hoc groups which would take care of things such as governmental relations with the DNR and the governor's office and the legislature when that became necessary. So those, those were modified from time to time to the point now the organization has a really smoothly functioning uh, governance structure and committee structure which really knows how to get things done and uh, uh, has a reputation for doing that. That's well, exciting. That's, that's for sure. Well, you did a wonderful job. For our listeners that might not be local, um, the North Branch will be benefiting uh, from the anglers in the coming years uh, based on their commitment to uh, continue with their uh, habitat work on the North and just keep it the amazing fishery that it is. and. Well, you know, and you not know, exclusively, but right. just for the, of, the, of the local interest. No, it, it will. And uh, I don't even know if you guys know it. I just found out about it myself. I've, I recently resigned from the board, but the Anglers has committed 
five hundred thousand dollars over the next ten years yes. for habitat work yep. on the yep. main and the north uh, and the south. But uh, the north has been a an especial focus of the anglers, and uh, that's going to continue now well into the future with that with that uh, with that pledge. I'm commitment. Really, mm-hmm. really happy to that that we've been able to do that. And we've been spending a lot of money in the recent past on advocacy issues and litigation, which we'd rather not do. But there's a pause in that action, and this is a great time to refocus on on uh, habitat restoration and the fisheries. That's so critical. It's a it's a great add to what we're doing. And many of the uh, uh, stakeholders, TU and uh, Osaba North Branch Area Foundation, are are, are helping, uh, assisting uh, with some funding, uh, not to the degree the anglers is, but uh, making their, their contributions as well. Um, I, I'd like you to, to mention the, the, the uh, resource work is so important, uh, and the anglers has fought some terrific battles in the past, and, and the, one of the most recent ones was the uh, uh, aquaculture, aquaculture fish farm in, uh, in Grayland, and uh, the anglers were successful in... Uh, uh, eliminating that forever, uh, and there was quite a cost in doing that. Tom, could you share us with us what what the community, what the anglers supporters did for that, and then, and then how that worked out? I'm glad you mentioned the supporters because the anglers is what it is and can do what it does be because of its members and other supporters and and sister organizations. Um, the fish farm fight, as we fondly know it started a few years back when the county, Crawford County, was uh, concerned that its uh, tourist attraction at the old Grayling Fish Hatchery uh, was costing too much money and they were losing money on it. A fish farmer from the west side of the state said he'd come in and um, keep that tourist attraction open during the summer months if only the county would allow him to uh, run a fish farm there. So instead of producing 10 or 15,000 pounds of uh, trout every year, he would produce up to 300,000 pounds of trout every Mm. year. The problem is that old fish hatchery has no water treatment system at all. It's called a flow-through hatchery, Mm -hmm. which means you pull water out of the east branch of the Asabo, run it through all the fish, where it picks up fish poop and uneaten fish food and other things and washes right back into the river and then down into the mainstream just above the holy waters. So we viewed that as an extreme danger to the river and treated it as such. We were very sad that the DNR, Department of Natural Resources, saw fit to give its blessing to that project Um, And the county, of course, was already on board because it wanted to be done with the costs and continue to have the tourist attraction open. So we were in a spot and we just decided we'd have to go ahead and fight it. So we filed an administrative appeal over the grant of what's called a pollution discharge permit. Um, which was necessary because so much pollution would be discharged into the river because of the fish farm. We also filed a lawsuit 
in circuit court and uh, process both of those matters uh, in parallel form. We ultimately had the circuit judge declare that the DNR had violated the statute pursuant to which the fish hatchery had been transferred to the county. And it was starting to look like we were going to prevail on the pollution discharge permit too. So at that point in time, we were able to settle the case with the fish farmer by simply buying him out uh, with a promise that he wouldn't come back. We also had to make an agreement with the county, which still wanted a tourist attraction there. And that agreement was that the anglers of the Osaba would take over the fish hatchery, continue operating it as a tourist attraction, and do so into the, into the future. That whole process cost the anglers and its members and supporters $600,000, um, wow. all of which was paid for by donations from our members, from supporters, from other organizations, uh, so we were pretty proud of that operation in total. And, and this was not the only fish farm fight in Michigan, but there was a budding movement to have an aquaculture industry in Michigan, particularly in the Great Lakes, using what are called net pens. And that's a bunch of fish penned into, into a net, a circular net, dropping their feces and uneaten food down to the bottom. And there was an attempt in the legislature to deregulate uh, aquaculture and put it in the hands of the Department of Agriculture as opposed to the Department of Natural Resources. Mm -hmm. We partnered with a variety of other organizations and that legislation uh, was stopped in its tracks also. So that was the fight. I, I was concerned, I was president of the Anglers at the time, I was concerned that we were going to be stuck with this white elephant. But uh, my, my successors and the board of directors has turned that fish hatchery into a wonderful educational and research facility, including a partnership with Lake Superior State University and its fishery uh, program, so that it is really much more now than a tourist attraction. It is it is going to be a contributing member of this community and the state for years to come. That's a great success story. Absolutely it's great a, success story. I was in some of those hearings, and as I recall, it was uh, ludicrous to hear the Department of Environmental Quality acknowledge that the granting of this permit would degrade the Osavo. And I thought, how can the Department of Environmental Quality just the name alone, allow the degradation <laughs> of a blue ribbon trout stream. That was beyond my comprehension. I almost had to leave the room uh, for fear of being uh, uh, disruptive or arrested, one of the two. I'm so mad. <laughs> but, uh, and, and then uh, the Department of uh, uh, Agricultural and Rural Development was the real push behind aquaculture, wasn't it, Tom? Yeah, it was a uh, department of Agriculture and Rural the Michigan Farm Bureau and the Michigan State Extension Service was involved there. I think U of M was involved somewhere. We were definitely up against City Hall and County Hall and, and the power structure in Lansing. Uh, but, but on the other hand, we had the Osable River and that was worth fighting for. 
And uh, everybody had said, quote unquote, everybody had said, this is a bad idea and a wrong place. And the anglers of the Asabo isn't going to let this pass without a fight. And they were right. And finally, after all of that, um, the situation was resolved, I think, in the river's favor for sure. Yeah. It's a great success story. <laughs> And Tom, you had a big part in that. Uh, you were president of the Anglers during a good major portion of that. And then Joe Hemming took over and you uh, breathed a sigh of relief for a while as uh, you passed the gavel to Joe, who did a phenomenal job. Uh, both of these guys, uh, you know, and Bruce Prager, lawyers, gave hundreds and hundreds of hours of, of uh, uh, free time uh, to that cause, and I don't think uh, you can ever be acknowledged enough for that. So thank you so much for that work. But now, so you had a little break. Um, you uh, passed the gavel and uh, had a year or so, maybe a couple of years off, and, and now you're, you're back at it again. Uh, we heard some good news recently that uh, uh, Tom Baird has been appointed to the Michigan Natural Resource Commission. And uh, that sounds to me like uh, you're taking on some more conservation work in our behalf, and thank you for it. But tell us how that, how that happened. Well, I flunked retirement. <laughs> and, and, you sure uh, did. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Governor Whitmer appointed me recently to the Michigan Natural Resources Commission. I didn't apply for the job. Uh, but my name was mentioned by several people. Mm -hmm. They contacted me and asked if I would be interested. I was surprised by that, but I said yes, and and uh, it happened. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm now a sitting member of the NRC, uh, trying to bring fishing back to the level of hunting in terms of the visibility and attention that it gets on the commission. Excellent. It's exciting. It's very That's exciting. Great move. Well, and, you know, we've been blessed. You know, another of our unsung heroes uh, was Dave Kozad, who was our, our guest in the last episode. And uh, last season, uh, one of our podcasts featured John Walters. That's uh, right. Who had retired from the commission to uh, take a position out west. And probably for clarification, earlier... You, you said you'd retired or you'd uh, resigned from the Anglers Board, and that was to facilitate. This wasn't because of any trouble with the Anglers. Oh, this was, no, no, no. This was no, to no. facilitate this. This was new to situation. avoid any conflict. Of yes, exactly. And I think John Walters had to do the same thing yep. uh, when he was yep. a member of Anglers as well. Yep. You know, the people of the Asable ought to be kind of proud because recently there's actually been four commissioners. Mm -hmm. associated directly with this river. First was Rex Schlebaugh, mm -hmm. um, and then John Walters, and now Dave Kozad and me. So um, obviously the Osable River supports a, a vibrant conservation community. Ought to be proud of that. And Tom, there's another uh, <clears throat> trout enthusiast on that uh, commission, and that's uh, from another river system, Carol Rose from the Black River. And she was a tremendous, has been a tremendous uh, uh, conservation activist in the Black River system and has done some amazing things up there. So uh, the fishing community is well represented on the, on the Natural Resource Commission. Yeah, there's Carol and uh, 
Mike Lashbrook from from uh, the Lansing area, who is a big Pure Marquette denizen. Nice. So yeah, we have a lot of fishing background on the commission, which I don't think maybe was there in in years past, but now we have a good mix, a good balance on the commission uh, between fish and wildlife, and and I'm sure it'll be to the better for the regulations that we oversee. That's exciting. So I, I just remember talking to Rex Schlebaugh when he first became a member of the board, uh, the commission, and uh, uh, he said, Glenn, I'm getting like uh, 200 emails a day, and uh, <laughs> this is almost overwhelming. I think that was about his first week and a half in the, in the program, and obviously there was some major issue uh, at hand because I'm sure it's not that bad every day, Tom, but uh, thank no, you for No, but what that can happen. Here. That sure. can happen. And I'll tell you, I have never <laughs> seen anyone who has an interest in conservation of any sort, fish, wildlife, forests, whatever. None of them seem to have a weak position on anything. <laughs> All of them have very strong positions on everything, whether they know anything about it or not. So, so, so going to make it interesting. Our job is to weed all that out and uh, apply sound science to the questions in front of us and try to come up with the best decisions that we can. I, I wanted to make another comment about the anglers, and and that's uh, the the organization has done amazing things. And it's all volunteer. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a good point. I'm not point, sure Glenn. people know that 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 all of the board members, all of the there's no paid member of the Anglers of the Osavo. Is that correct, Tom? That is correct. Now we don't even give people travel mileage reimbursement nope. for going to Lansing or anything. It's nope. so strictly nonpartisan, nonprofit organization with no paid staff whatsoever. Phenomenal what they could do. Yeah. I remember a, a President Reagan quotation, uh, I think it fits with the anglers. Uh, we visited his library in California about three years ago, and one quote was, uh, it's amazing what men can accomplish when they don't care who gets the credit. Good point. And That's I thought that was point. a great quote, and yep. I think it fits the anglers. It's true. Was, uh, there's a hell of a lot of strong people there, but it, it doesn't seem to be overwhelmed with egos, or uh, separate uh, agendas. It's a great organization. Thanks for all you did for anglers and still yeah. do, Tom. Indeed. Oh, it's, Indeed. it's been a pleasure. Mm. Yeah. Well, tell us about some of your other fishing exploits. What, what, we, we, heard, we heard of your passion for the Hendrickson. The, uh, He's going to uh, go to Montana here. I was going to say, are you, do you venture outside the Osable? Oh, yeah. Of course, but I, I have to tell you, the Osabo uh, is the best, and it can be tough. I'll admit it. You got to learn how to fish it, and you got to learn about the bugs, and you got to learn about a lot of bugs and a lot of places, and what's hatching where and when. And it's not easy. Rusty used to say if you can catch fish on the Osabo, you can catch fish anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. I mean, you go out to Montana. And you say, what do I need? And they give you two bugs, and that's all you need. <laughs> and where do I fish? And just, well, fish this run out in front. Well, that's easy. But the Osabo, it's, it's mysterious, and it's moody, and the different branches have different personalities, mm -hmm. and the bugs are always 
multiple. There's more than one species at all times, so you don't know exactly what's what's happening. So it's it's just a fun puzzle to figure out every time. But I do go other places. I've I've been a lot of places. I've been to Montana quite a few times and been to Alaska and went to Labrador once for those oh, wow. record Good brook, brook trout. trout. Did you go with Bear? I did not go with Jeff Andrews, but uh, I went to the Cooper's camp there up there. Okay. And it was interesting up there because, of course, they really, really protect that brook trout fishery. And mm-hmm. brook trout are actually a char. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to brook trout, there is actually a fish up there that looks kind of like a brook trout, but isn't, and it's called a char. And when you're out fishing and you're catching five and six and seven pound mm. brook trout, I think they allow you to keep one. I never did, but I think you can keep mm. one, but you don't just keep your catch. Except the char, they will keep a few of those for lunch every day because they're so delicious. <laughs> and, and I have now discovered, if you folks out there haven't discovered it yet, char tastes better than trout. And uh, that's why brook trout are so good for breakfast on opening day. But uh, um, uh, Labrador was a real, real adventure. And I fish other species, too. I fish walleye and bass. And I live in Elk Rapids now, so I can walk down the street to the dam there and and fish for everything from steelhead in the spring to bass to uh, lake trout come in get salmon in the fall mm. it's it's quite a fishery there uh so i fish that and i love to go to montana i like the mountains and i like the fishing out there that's such a great so setting it is it is mm-hmm. and and the surrounding area you know wyoming and idaho and yellowstone all of that's just just fantastic <laughs> in in so many ways so i like that i had been all geared up for my first international trip to go to patagonia a couple of years ago and the COVID hit, so that's, oh, that's off. been canceled and going to be rescheduled. Canceled or just on pause? On pause, okay. on pause, yes. <laughs> adjourned, adjourned to a later date. Very good. So that should be next January, I hope. That's awesome. That's, uh, you know, I, Tom talked about the Labrador brook trout, and, and they are phenomenal. And I, I had the good fortune to make that trip a few years ago. And as I recall, after about the second day, uh, the black flies were absolutely horrendous. Uh, the fish were worth it, uh, but I think the third day I was supposed to go out with Bill Duncanson, and he said, where do you want to go today? And I said, I'm not going to go fish this morning. He said, what do you mean you're not going to fish? I said, no, I'm going to catch a dozen black flies. I'm going to tear a wing off of each one and, and torture them. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously I didn't do that. We went fishing and had a great time, but I'll never forget those black flies. They were brutal. They can be bad, but when the small brook trout are three pounders, yeah. <laughs> that's that's worth a long trip. And it is a long trip. You fly, sure. you make a couple of couple of hops before you get get to camp. That's for sure. Yes, it's, indeed. It's gorgeous out that's there. That's exciting. And uh, very wild, and and those fish are huge. Yeah, bear on the banks, and oh, it's a great time. And in the evening, you're sitting around tying flies and telling telling lies, but you know. Well, that um, never happens the, with anglers. The, the fish you catch up there reminds me of the prayer about, uh, Lord, suffer me to catch a fish that is so large that I, 
in telling of it afterwards will have no cause to lie. <laughs> and in Labrador, you can do that. Yeah, just about. Just <laughs> about. Caught That's a true. Seven pound brook trout, and you could tell somebody, I caught a seven pound brook trout, and you're telling the truth. So yeah. the, the prayer fit. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Prayer fit. You know, getting out on the river, wherever it is, it's just better. Yeah. It's, it's just better than being sitting in front of the TV or at work or uh-huh. doing whatever else you do. I, I just think that being on a river is better and being knee deep in the Osavo is just the best. It's a treat. For, for me it is. Yeah. Anyway. And, and I know Tom well enough because I've, I've had a chance to also uh, not just fish with this gentleman, but we spent some time in the woods in the fall when the colors are just spectacular. And uh, you've got a couple of uh, English setters uh, uh, coursing through the woods. Uh, touch on that, uh, Tom, your love for grouse hunting. Well, grouse and woodcock are just sort of go together with trout fishing as far as I can figure anyway. I, as soon as I started trout fishing, I, I discovered that everyone I knew went grouse hunting in the fall. So. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. I got myself a shotgun and took up that sport too, and I've been doing that ever since. And have had a couple of really good dogs. Very good dogs. Um, and uh, between dogs right now makes me a little sad, but yeah. certainly frees up my travel schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, grouse hunting up here is is terrific, and it's a bunch of good people. You can get out in the woods in the fall when everyone else is, you know, raking their leaves or, or <laughs> pouting that summer is over, mm-hmm. and we've got another good two months to, to, uh, to go just before deer season. So, uh, fall activity, and, and and plus it's such a classic. I mean, it's just as classic as trout fishing is. Trout fishing and grouse hunting just go together. They go in, in, in the Northwoods. They, they really sure do. do. They do. Yeah, and sitting around after a grouse hunt with a maybe a, a damp bird dog and, and uh, some some birds to clean and maybe a, a, a glass of brown water, which yeah, is always go. enjoyable. And <laughs> we just introduced John to some bird hunting this last fall. He he started with his camera, and I think he's going to get a shotgun now, and he'll probably be in the woods it's... with us this fall. But uh, hope to get you out hunting again this fall, Tom. Oh, don't worry, I'll be here. Good, I'll good, be good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, excellent. Thank you very, very much for spending an afternoon with us. Uh, it's a little too hot to fish, folks. It's about 90 degrees, uh, so we're taking a little break. And uh, But but uh, Tom had a good trip yesterday on uh, on the mainstream with uh, John Dallas. Took uh, Tom and, and his wife, uh, Ellen, down the stream. Yep. Uh, Old friend John time. Dallas says, come on, I'll take you for a float. So my wife, Ellen, and I went down, and, and it was hot. I think it was pushing 90, and it was sunny. So I wouldn't say we were killing them, but we fooled several and caught go. some and had a nice lunch on a friend's dock with a neighbor came over. So it became a, a party for lunch. <laughs> and uh, as uh, afternoon came, we were about to finish up. Uh, the fish started coming and uh, a couple of nice fish were caught as usual. It was just another great day on the Osage. They're always a good day. God, yes. Always it a good day. Really and wherever Jalice is, there's a party. 
Oh yeah, well, good <laughs> it just point. happens. And, it and finds you know, him. I'm glad you're calling John out because John's <laughs> he's been one of our earliest adopters and fans of the podcast. So I'm glad he's getting his due. Well, you <laughs> know, he was advertising we're... yesterday on the podcast. He didn't know I was doing this today. <laughs> he was, he's got to listen to that. You got to listen to that. So, hi, John. Hey, John. Hope you're enjoying this. <laughs> you know, John's one of the guys that we should talk to about a podcast because he's Absolutely. done a hell of a lot for the, for the uh, uh, river system. He was president of the Asable North Branch Area Foundation. John is, was president of the uh, 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 Headwaters Land Conservancy. Right. Uh, he's a member of the Anglers uh, on the board. Uh, so we, we, John, we maybe he's, he's a quality can, human being. Can, it's someone well, who you know has a keen you sense of get, humor. You too. should get him in a boat oh, and yeah. float him down the river because every cabin that has any history at all, he knows it. He knows and it. he's gabbing about it. Just yeah. that one on the right, that second one on the left, yeah. and it was very interesting. Some of the history behind some of these old places. Oh yes, uh, I got to float next to him. We, I was in a kayak and he was in his uh, little one-man canoe but, yeah. uh, and shared, you, you couldn't be more spot on. That was our conversation oh, as I know. we floated. It was just mm. like, mm. it's so, so John, that. we're coming for you. <laughs> yeah, John, you're coming to the podcast soon. <laughs> I didn't know that about John. He, oh, he really knew a lot. Yeah, he knows yeah. a lot of the history. Yeah. Assuming it was true. And that he wasn't just well, making it up as we paddled along. I've heard rumors that he's creative, but we should probably count him in as accurate. Probably. We'll do it. Probably. We'll do it. If, if, Good deal. If Tom thinks we should, we'll go ahead. Yes, agreed. Thank you, Tom, so much Tom, for taking so some time with us. My pleasure being here. Keep right doing here. the good work fun. and, and good luck too. in your new spot. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. If we that can help much. in any way, let us know. Just Keep making trouble when you need to make trouble. There you <laughs> That's right. Make good trouble. Make good yeah. trouble. Make I like that. Wonderful. Good stuff. That's Thanks, a, gentlemen. That's a great clothes. What a fun way to spend an afternoon. Uh, great speaking with Tom. Always enjoy having Glenn on board. Uh, we did allude to one thing. Uh, the temperatures have been really hot up here. Um, our rivers are lower this spring and uh, going into the summer season. Uh, but be mindful of the 70 degree pledge. Um, I know it's hard when you want to come up and fish on your holiday and the you know, stretches, certain stretches of the river are too warm, but be patient, go ahead and make the, uh, the little drive if you have to go somewhere else, but uh, be mindful of that, thank you. And uh, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode, so thanks for listening, and mind your back cast. <laughs>